right into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, use the message today to speak to our hearts. Would you please, Lord, be with our friend Bill. Thank you for this dear man. Thank you for the years he has served you and been faithful to you. And Lord, as he faces the valley of the shadow of death, I'm thankful that he has no need to fear. You are with him. Your rod and your staff will comfort him. Lord, you, mercy and grace has accompanied him all of his life, and now he will dwell in your house forever. Lord, use your word to minister to our hearts now today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our Bibles and go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. This will date many of you, but some of you might remember the old movie City Slickers. Now, I'm not justifying it in any way. The very fact of the matter is I've never seen it. But it was kind of an old comedy movie with Billy Crystal. It was a story about three lifelong friends that would occasionally go out on an annual trip to do something adventurous together. This particular year found them in a midlife crisis. And they decided to leave their lives in the city to go out to a ranch and help some farmers move cattle from one place to another. The man that led the cattle drive was a man by the name of Curly, was a rough old cowboy that was a man of very few words. And in one particular scene, he spewed out some unexpected wisdom to the man who was played by Billy Crystal. He looked at, Curly looked at him and said, you city folk, you seem to worry a lot, don't you? He said, how old are you? About 38. And Billy Crystal replied, no, I'm actually 39. He said, all you guys that come up here to do this are all the same age. He said, problem is you spend 50 weeks a year tying knots in your rope. And you think that in two weeks you're going to untie them with me. And he says, you want to know what the secret to life is? Billy Crystal says, no, what is it? He says, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to this one thing and everything else don't mean nothing. He said, what is the one thing? He said, you're going to have to try to figure that out. And evidently, they spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out what the one thing is. One thing. What is that one thing in your life? What should be that one thing in your life? What is it that should be so consuming in our lives that Jesus would actually say in the passage we're going to read that there's only one thing in life that matters? We spend our lives in an endless pursuit of busy, and we almost brag about it. In fact, sometimes even if you catch a person uh, not actually thinking correctly, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll respond by busy. As if busy was a state of doing. It's kind of like asking, uh, you know, your, 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 my son, Blake, who sometimes just can't quite pull it all together. I'll say, Blake, what are you doing? And he'll say, good. And so he's, you know, obviously not processing the question appropriately. But the fact is, guys, we sometimes are so consumed with being busy, we actually think that's the right question, the right answer to any question. As if being busy were somehow being blessed. 
The very fact of the matter is being busy could put us under the acronym B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. Could it be that God doesn't actually want you to be more busy? Could it be that God actually wants you to be less busy because being so busy robs you of intimacy with God? Luke chapter 10, verse number 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Think about it. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. The one thing that you need more than anything is personal, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Would you notice, first of all, with me in our text, that Jesus is welcomed into a home. Jesus is welcomed into a home. Sometimes I find myself, when I'm studying the Bible and I slow down, and in, in, in a text like this that only has five verses, sometimes it's easier to slow down a little bit and actually think through what is being said in, like, verse 38 as an example. While we would quickly blow past this and say, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus enters into a village and he enters into someone's home. For some reason this week, I just like, the brakes were put on in my heart. And I said, well, how fascinating is that? Of all the towns in Israel, of all the towns in the Middle East, Jesus, as far as we know, doesn't show up at all of them, does he? But here we find that Jesus does choose to land in this particular place. And land in this particular home. Here is a home that did not deserve to have the Son of God in it. That did not deserve to be visited by God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, here is a blessed village and a blessed home into which Jesus Christ enters into fellowship with. I'm reminded in a spiritual sense, this is what happened to all of us when we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that people without God, listen to this, people without God are separated from God. They are actually aliens and strangers from God. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who were strangers are now part of a family. And those of us who were aliens are now welcome guests and friends. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, listen to this, he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. In case that just didn't make any sense to you, let me try to illustrate it for you as best I can. Over here is God, holy, righteous, unapproachable, completely separated from everything that is evil and wicked and sin. 
over here is man, you and I. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person in this world, there's not one person in this church today that has never sinned. Every single one of us have broken God's commandment. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, what is standing in the middle, watch this, what is in the middle of God and you is the commandments of God which we have broken. And the broken commandments keep a separation between God and you. And friend, there's only one way to get that gap filled in between you and God. There's only one way to break down that separation between God and man. And you want to know what it is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus took all the broken commandments, all the sins against God that had been committed by everybody in the universe. And on the cross, come on, on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for the crimes that were committed against him. And now, anybody that wants to come to God can come to God. But you have to come through the cross. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. And if you will open up your heart and by faith receive Jesus Christ, you can have Jesus come into your home as well. But he's not coming to your home without going through the cross. So number one, Jesus is welcomed into a home. But I'm going to spend most of my time on the number two and number three here. Secondly, I want you to see there are two responses to Jesus being in the house. When Jesus enters into the house, the Bible identifies these two women, Mary and Martha. Now you may be wondering who these two women exactly were. There are numbers of Martha and numbers of women named Mary in the Bible. We know that these two women are sisters and when you sync the whole story together, you find that this is actually Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus, who lived in the little town called Bethany. In fact, over in John chapter 11, verse 1, they are identified together. The Bible says a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his, her sister Martha. Then in John chapter number 12, verse 2, it says, There was made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those that sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So when you put all these together, it's pretty obvious who these women were. This is Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Now mark this down. Every time you see Martha and Mary in the Bible, you see Martha serving and Mary worshiping. And in Luke chapter number 10, it's no different. When Jesus enters into this house, first of all, he finds Mary, the sister of Martha, sitting at his feet and worshiping him. Notice the text again in verse number 39. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And by the way, this is the response of worship to Christ. The other response is the response of service to Christ. Now I want to be careful here because I know oftentimes we look at this text and we are quick to judge Martha and quick to not judge Mary. And the very fact of the matter is, although Martha did get distracted, what she did was actually good. Because there's always two responses to Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, number one, you should worship him. And number two, you should serve him. And so when we look at Mary, though, we see a woman whose immediate response to Jesus 
was to worship him, set at his feet, and listen to his word. Can you understand this? She had a hunger to know God. She had a desire to hear the word of God. She had a longing for fellowship of the spirit. She had a quest in her heart to be changed into the likeness of Christ. She had a love for Jesus where she was experiencing him. And this love that she had for him was then going to be demonstrated out to the world in which she would serve. But she first sat at Jesus' feet hearing his word. Now I I, I quite recognize that you're here today essentially sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his word. Anytime the Bible's open, that's what you're doing. You're sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his word. But I want to say this to you. I don't believe that Martha would have been found guilty of only sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his word one time a week on Sunday. There was something personal, individual, and perpetual about Martha sitting at Jesus' feet. Do you have time for God? Do you take time for God? If you want to be a healthy Christian, can I encourage you? You're going to need to eat and drink more than one time a week. And every believer that knows Christ should spend time worshiping at Jesus' feet every single day. It's it's called Bible intake. It's called prayer. It, It was It has historically been a regular, normal practice of people that have known God forever. People that know God spend time in God's Word. People that know God spend time in prayer talking to Him. Think about it. If you never are in communication with or correspondence with God, do you actually have a relationship with Him? I mean, quite honestly, I have a relationship with Angie. I've been married to Angie for uh, coming on 20 years this coming summer. And just imagine if Angie never talked to me and I never talked to Angie for any reason, but we occupied the same house and we tried to raise the five kids together without ever speaking one to another either way. I think you'd agree with me that I wouldn't have much of a relationship with Angie. Why? Because relationships are built on communication. And Mary gives us the illustration of a relationship that is built on sitting and worshiping Jesus and listening to his word. And I just want to tell you, there's some amazing things that can happen when you sit at Jesus' feet. I heard the story of Joni uh, Erickson Tata. Some of you have heard of her. She's the Christian uh, conference speaker that became a quadriplegic as a teenager in a diving accident. And she's now started... Joni and friends and has a fantastic ministry of ministering to people who are broken. On one occasion she was able to visit John Hopkins Medical Center. When she got into the lobby of the John Hopkins Medical Center, she saw this 25 foot statue of Jesus and she was mesmerized by the whole experience and in her wheelchair literally sitting literally at the feet of Jesus. Her moment of worship was disrupted by a hospital executive that stopped and said, Are you Joni Erickson Tata? To which she said, Yes, sir, I am. He said, I'm also a Christian, and I know your story, and I've read your books, and I've, I've, uh, I've heard your teaching, and I just want you to know that you're an encouragement to me. And he reached out and handed her a business card. He was a vice president of this particular hospital. He said, If you ever need anything, just let me know. It wasn't too long after that that Joni had a friend 
that had a very rare cancer that was discovered that there was a treatment option at Johns Hopkins Memorial Hospital into which nobody could get access. But when Joni heard this story, she was reminded about the hospital executive that she met in the lobby of the hospital. And she reached out in a personal call to his personal cell phone, told the story, and the woman was put into the hospital for treatment immediately because of this connection. When she called her friend and said, you're not going to believe this, I know an executive there, and I've already got you an appointment, the woman was absolutely exacerbated. She said, I just want you to know, when you walk in that lobby, you're going to see a big statue of Jesus, and I want you to know when you walk in there that there are some amazing things that happen at the feet of Jesus. My friend, I'm here to tell you, there are amazing things that happen at the feet of Jesus. I'm talking about people get their sins forgiven at the feet of Jesus. I'm talking about people get prayers answered at the feet of Jesus. I'm talking about burdens get lifted at the feet of Jesus. Friend, you should spend more time at the feet of Jesus Christ. Mary sat at his feet, heard his word, yet Martha was distracted with much serving. Notice what the text says here. It says, but, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I want you to stop for a minute and consider how good this act of service actually was, though. Think about it. She had 13 hungry men show up on her doorstep unannounced. And you know what she does? She swings her door open and says, come on in. Now, folks, mind you, this was before Papa John's pizza delivery. There was no Uber Eats. This wouldn't have been a moment that this meal would have come easily. I'm talking about animals probably needed to be sacrificed and bread needed to be baked and rooms needed to be redecorated and fixed up. I mean, this would have been an all-out experience, one that very few of us would have ever experienced in our lives today. We live in a very individualistic, closed-off culture. Most people never have people in their homes in the first place. But in this culture, I mean, think about the story when the man has a guy visit him at midnight and he doesn't have any bread to eat. He goes crazy. He starts knocking on his neighbor's door. Do you have any bread? I don't have bread to serve my guest. This was a very hospitable culture. This woman literally rolled out her red carpet in love and respect for Jesus and was willing to serve him. Can I just say this to you today? Churches are built on the backs of Martha's. While some people are content to be spectators at church, Martha's get the job done. Martha's roll up their sleeves. Martha's watch babies in the nursery. Martha's teach children's classes. Anybody hear me today? Uh, Martha's make sure the buildings are spotless. Martha's lock and unlock doors for people. Martha's get baptistries ready for baptism. Martha's make sure the hospitals are visited and people have cards written in this. Anybody listen to me today? I'm saying to you, nothing wrong with being a Martha. In fact, some of you may want to sit up and take notes. Because the fact is, there's far too many Christians, sad to say, even in this room, you're sitting on the sideline, friend. You're watching what's happening, but there ain't a whole lot happening with you. Well, I'll move on because the amen's died out right there. So, <laughs> consider the good of Martha, but consider the danger of Martha. The danger of Martha is that while you are serving... You can get so distracted, so busy, and so preoccupied 
with what other people are doing or not doing. You can become so frustrated with what is happening around you that you can actually be so drug around by what you're doing that you've lost your heart for God. Look, just, I just want you to see this. Look at what she says to him. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here alone to serve? What an attitude. What a statement. It's like the disciples on the boat. Lord, do you not care that we perish? Look, you can just go ahead and never ask that question again in your life. Of course, Christ cares about whatever is on your heart. This is her flustered and frustrated. And then notice this. She orders Jesus to do something. She says, tell my sister to get in the kitchen and serve with me. What audacity. Can you imagine ordering around the Son of God, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, just because you think something's not going the way that you think it's going? She actually told Jesus to do something. I don't know about you. I want to be on the receiving end of what Jesus is saying, not on the giving end of what I want to say to him. Oh, so Jesus is going to respond to this. Number three, he's going to reveal by responding to her what the top priority of a disciple actually is. First of all, Jesus observes that her attention is divided. Her attention is divided. Notice what he says in response in verse 41. By the way, I love this. Martha, Martha, don't look too quickly past that note. This is a gentle rebuke. Can you see him? Shake his head softly. Martha, we've been here before. <laughs> She's freaked out, but Jesus isn't. And Jesus points out to her, you are worried and troubled, which means exhausted and preoccupied. You are so busy with so much on your plate, you done forgot who is here. It's not that serving God is a problem. It's not that serving God with passion is a problem. It's that serving God without worshiping God is a problem. How would you know? Listen very carefully to these points. God had me write down in my notes this week. If you have become so exhausted that you are irritable, you are overcommitted. I'm looking at some people in this room. You're perhaps like an atomic bomb at your house. Stop being so busy that you are so irritated at everybody and everything around you. If you become worried and bothered by all the things that are not done rather than joyful over the things that are done, you're likely overcommitted. If you begin to criticize others for their lack of performing to your standards of expectation, you are overcommitted. If you are a perfectionist and you cannot even enjoy the company of Jesus or other members of the family of God until every detail is just right, you need to slow down. This woman was so busy doing that she was not being. Listen, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. And you need to slow down and worship Jesus. Finally, Jesus says to her, uh, listen, here is what your priority is. 
And he says, only one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the better part. What's the one thing that is needful? Obviously, it is worshiping Jesus. Slowing down long enough that you can hear from him. Slowing down long enough that you can have prayer. Slowing down long enough that you can actually read the Bible without being rushed. Isn't it funny that we've created every opportunity to try to rush through time with Jesus? I've seen everything. Uh, Two-minute audio devotionals for busy believers. Squeeze him in. Squeeze him in. Squeeze God into your hectic life. Do you think that sounds like something that's going to build a strong relationship with God? I was reading a book this week. It's really interesting. It's called Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Some of you probably read this. And in the third chapter, I believe it was, while he's talking about what essentialism is, listen to this very carefully. The word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. For 500 years, the word remained singular. And in the 1900s, for the first time ever, the word became plural. We went from priority, meaning one thing, to priorities, meaning many things, Illogically, I love this, illogically we reason that by changing the word we could bend reality. Somehow we now could have the ability to have multiple first things. People and companies routinely try to do this. He said one leader told me in an experience that his company talked about priority one, priority two, priority three, priority four, and priority five. This gave me the impression of many things being the priority, but actually by having many priorities you have None. And I'll be admitting to you in the next few minutes that my priorities have not always been great. I have been pastoring here for six years. I've been in ministry for 20 years this summer. I've been married for 20 years this summer. And most of my ministry life has been a rat race. You know, the average tenure of a lead pastor is only three years. Since 2020, the expedition of pastors resigning has been expedited. It's called the Great Resignation. Since 2020, listen to 75% of pastors face depression, 90% of pastors are unequipped for their job, they say. 80% 80 of pastors leave the ministry within five years of graduating from seminary. 1,400 pastors quit each month. 67% of pastors say that 2020 was their hardest year. Mine was actually 2019. So, I'm not quitting. Now, to some of you, that is a great disappointment. Just kidding. But, because... I recognize the enormous dangerous toils and snares of pastoral work because I understand the hazards to family and the unseen and sometimes unfelt exhaustion that are associated with pastoring churches. I have been working with the leaders of the church, all the deacons and all the department heads and I'm going to be taking a brief break this summer. Okay. I am going to go on what is called a sabbatical. It sounds a lot 
more challenging than it actually is. It's basically an extended break, but it's not a vacation. Before I tell you some of the details, I want to tell you some things that may encourage you. I am not leaving now, and I'm not planning on leaving. In fact, the reason why I am doing this is because I am planning on staying until God calls me home. And let me give you six reasons why I believe God is keeping me here. Believe me, I've thought about it. I've thought about leaving. I've thought about going to another church. I've thought about doing another thing. But through prayer and through counsel and through advice, I've made a commitment to God and my family that we're staying here. We're going to be here for a long time. I want to be here till I retire or till I die. Why is that? Number one, I believe here. And I don't believe the work that God called me to do is completed yet. Number two, it's always tough. Wherever you are, wherever you pastor, wherever you preach, it's hard. Number three, our church is a healthy church. I enjoy it. And it's nice to actually enjoy what you've spent so long to build. Number four, my children have stability with school and friends, etc. Number five, it's financially stable. Moving is expensive. Retirement is being built. Home equity is solid and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Finally, if ever down the road in my 60s, I, I, I think that God may want me to teach in college full time or go back to traveling like I did before I came here, then I'll be much better equipped to do it 15 years from now than right now. So, you're stuck. In light of that, because of how busy and hectic and crazy our life has been, some of you know, some of you that are new, and many of you first-time guests, I apologize for this, but uh, it's been crazy. We adopted three kids in the last three years, all under the age of three when we got them, plus a newborn, who is now still not yet two. We're Abraham and Sarah, okay? <laughs> In order to gain fresh perspective and in order to get a new resolve and in order to come back to be the best pastor I can be for you, it's important that we take this break. It's not a vacation. It's not professional development. I'm not taking a bunch of books. I'm not reading a bunch of stuff about church ministry. I'm not reading about what we're doing next. Actually, I'm not taking books at all. I'm taking my Bible and a notebook and that's it. Because I believe it's important for me to do what Mary did, to get perspective. You may be saying, well, this is crazy. I've never heard of this. Well, it's not actually uncommon, and it's biblical. Leviticus chapter 25 says the land rested after six years. The seventh year, the land rested in a Sabbath. Why? So that the land could ultimately produce more fruit by being rested for an entire year. Sabbath is biblical, and it's common. Multiple companies do this. For their employees. In fact, I was talking to Rhonda just a couple weeks ago. She's been in her business for 20 years, and they just gave her five weeks of vacation. Now, she told me she could sell it back to her company if she wanted to, and that's fine. I'm not selling mine back. <laughs> the benefits for me are clear. Ministry work is never finished. No matter how hard I work, it's always here. Emotional and relational trauma is severe. On a normal week, I bridge 50 hours a week every week and that's without any speaking out or any additional things that I do and it's been going on like this for years for you here's the benefit 
you might just grow to appreciate me more than you do now. You're also going to see how a church is supposed to function. Because if you think that a church is supposed to be led by and functioned by a pastor and a pastor alone, then you don't really know what a church is all about. Furthermore, we're going to learn how to lessen our dependence upon a pastor. Thirdly, you're going to experience increased longevity in my ministry. And when I get back, you'll find a refreshed pastor upon my return. So here's how this is going to work, and I'll close. First of all, God's blessed our church with many gifted preachers and teachers, of which they'll be preaching and teaching when I'm gone, starting with Aaron and Stephen that you heard just last week, who's now starting to preach a lot more in preparation for being a pastor himself. Andy, Stan, has been training to be in lay ministry here at our church, and he'll be also preaching during the time that I'm gone. Isn't it awesome to know that six years ago there were only about 50 people in this church and now there's enough people to fill the pulpit right here in our congregation for weeks uh, during the summer months. I think it's phenomenal. Secondly, you're going to find gifted people serving. There are department heads and deacons and leaders, children's ministry directors, young couples directors, uh, outreach directors, and other people that are going to keep the ministry going and going well. Hospitals will be visited. People will be prayed for. People will be cared for. Some people may even uh, experience uh, the real need for some help. But the good news is, it's here. And we're going to work together to see it done. I am excited more than ever to be at River City Baptist Church. And as I prepared this message, God was continuing to make it clear to me that this is the way that we're going to go. And so my first Sunday away will be the first Sunday of June. And so I recognize you may have some questions and want to talk. It's totally fine. Uh, I can't do it today. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people that can do that. In fact, uh, I want our deacons. Will you stand? Our deacons, all the deacons in our church, would you stand? And then our pastors, would you stand? Uh, the pastors, even those in training. Uh, and then Stephen is an intern. These are our leaders. Um, these are the men that unanimously uh, are in support, and their families, in support of what we're doing. Uh, also, if you're a department head, if you're in our department head, I mean, would you stand? These are people that uh, serve in leadership capacities. Some are out serving, obviously, now. Ladies' ministry, uh, people that serve with our volunteers, people that serve in children's ministry. These are the people that are going to be leading the effort uh, while we take this break. And I look forward over the next couple weeks to spending time with you and talking with you, answering your questions. But these people also can share with you the burden and the reason and encourage you along the way as we seek to do this, okay? Thank you, guys. You can be seated. And let's go ahead and go to prayer as we go to the next part of the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the opportunity that is ours to be here and to hear the word of God and to focus our priorities on Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to us. I thank you that we get to see baptism in just a moment, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper even now. Pray, Lord, that you will work during this time. Give us unity. Give us peace. And then it can be in just a few moments with this church that is meeting and gathering to uh, make their decision to join with ours. Lord, you're at work here in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray that you'll get the glory for this service. Before we go to the Lord's Supper, can I ask this question? 
Is there anybody here today that would say, Preacher, I do not know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I do not know. I'm not sure. I do not know if I die that I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to know. I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that Jesus is in the house. Preacher, would you pray for me because I, I, I don't know, but I want to know. And I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I want to pray for you. And I want to give you the help that you need if we can help you with that. How many of you would say, Preacher, that's me. I do not know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but I want to know. If that's you, would you hold your hand up? Is anybody like that? Preacher, pray for me. Just pray for me. Would you pray for me, Preacher? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can lower your hand. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. Thank you. God bless you guys. Amen. Thank you, man. Good. Thank you. Man, we're praying for you. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm not, again, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I'm going to give you a chance. We have several ladies and men right here in the church that are ready to talk to you. And they can just take a Bible real quick, show you how that you can know for sure. In fact, there are going to be a couple of them in the back, and I'm going to have you encourage you to go to them. And uh, so let's all stand right now for a quick word of prayer. Brother Aaron's going to play for us. I'm going to pray.